she's bad. <laughs> I can't hold both of you. I can only hold one of you at a time, and this one's a lot lighter. She's more snorty. She is very snorty. I know you're a little you're a little troll. Okay, so this podcast is just going to be a podcast with just me and Jessica because it's kind of a serious topic and we don't really feel like it should be just a lot of people bantering and we tend to banter and huck it up and turns into funny desserts and who knows what and the the, (laughs) the subject matter just really isn't that. So um, start off by talking about, you know, I recently lost Ethel and it was very sudden. It it wasn't a total shock because, you know, she's 10 years old. She's a 10-year-old then three-months Bordeaux, which is the oldest Bordeaux that I have ever had. And We also suspected something was cooking in there, but not being able to find it. I was, Ethel started with kind of a dry cough like six months ago. She would just kind of periodically, she sounded like a hacking old man, just kind of hack a cough. And so I've, I had chest x-rays done. Had blood work done, and nothing was ever found. She also came up with kind of, it looked like a mass on the side of her neck that I thought, oh, geez, you know, is this lymphoma? Mm -hmm. And, you know, did a needle biopsy of it, and it was nothing. It was an abscess. So she went on a round of antibiotics, and boom, it was gone. So I've got clear chest x-rays, and I've got good blood work. And the suspicious thing on her was that the, the muscles in the top of her head started to sink down a little bit. And More significantly, like as of late, you know, I was quarantined for two weeks. So then when I came back, yeah. I haven't seen her for two weeks and she looked suddenly much older yeah. and thinner in, in muscle tone. Yeah. Never lost her appetite. No. Never lost her, you know, her sweetness or who she was or I mean, she just was just herself. Um, but the last podcast that we filmed um, I don't remember which podcast it was that we, when we, when we brought her up here. Maybe it hasn't aired yet. Anyway, she, um, the very last day, she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she ate her breakfast and then she wouldn't come in for her dinner, which is highly unusual, highly suspect. You know, in that topic, there's a, kind of a little thing about food in here too is, and why I will not free feed a dog. My dogs have meals. They have scheduled meals, two meals a day. And I always tell people when you free feed your dog, because the first one of the first signs that your dog is sick is they'd refuse their food. And if you if you have dogs who eat on the regular and you put their bowls down and they eat their food and then suddenly they either don't come in for it or they don't eat their food. You know, my radar is on some people that leave food down all the time. How do you know, you know, if they ate, how how much they ate? So anyway, it's just kind of a, for me, free feeding is is one of the first mistakes that I think you made in trying to decipher whether your dog's ill or not. So um, Ethel did not come in for dinner. Um, I I went and got her and brought her in and offered it to her and she looked at it and she didn't think that that was anything that she wanted. So I knew that I had an issue. Um. We podcasted that night, and she wanted to come up here, um, and she did come up here. She made it all the way up to the top of the steps, and then she laid down and was just sl- kind of sleeping in the spot that she was in, which is very peculiar, which said she had no energy. She has no energy at all. And I felt like, you know, could it be her heart that came on so suddenly? And you think, well, I mean, she'd had a checkup probably 
two months before everything was good, but Kofax's bad heart came up that fast too. Yeah. So it can. Come on, Ethel. Come on, old girl. Come on, Snoo. Come on. Good job, big girl. So we did the podcast, and then it, we were all done to go downstairs, and she couldn't make it down the stairs. Jessica carried her down the stairs, and when we got to the bottom of the stairs, she just she kind of looked like she was going to lose consciousness a little she bit. She kind of went down and then looked like she might be seizing or something. Yeah. And then it looked like her belly had kind of a good amount of fluid in it. Right, which had me feeling like it was her heart again. Right. So I put her in her bed, and thought you know i didn't want to take her to the er because i wanted this to be something either dr reno was looking at or dr rolf or dr bronstad and not just whoever was on in the er so i thought i'm just gonna i'm just gonna wait till the morning to take her in and i was up with her most of the night because she wanted to get up but she just didn't have any strength and um first thing in the morning i took her um off to the er and Dr. Rolf met met us there outside and did the initial exam. He said, she, you know, she's shocky. She, I mean, her gums are really pale and her tongue was pale. And but he said it's not her heart. Her heart sounds perfectly fine. He went straight to ultrasound. He, and then he went straight to an ultrasound. And I mean, it was just definitive at that point. He said she's got cancer all over her liver. She has cancer all over her kidneys, and it has busted through her um, abdominal wall. So the fluid that we saw on the outside of her belly was actually blood. Yeah. And that's why her that's color why, was that's why her color was was poor. So the the point of talking about Ethel is the decision was clear. Right. You and know, that's so much nicer when it's clear. When it is clear of I mean there's there's no coming back from this. There's no what do we? Tr- what if, should we try to do surgery to remove the cancer? There's, there's no, there was no place to go but to let her go. Um, and that is a, is a gift because you're not struggling with a decision. So right. many or times, second guessing yourself, or second guessing yourself. There's so many times and so many different kinds of medical events that happen to all of our dogs that we're put in that position of making a decision. On whether, you know, quality of life, what kind of pain is the dog in? What is the prognosis? What is the outlook? What, you know, what are we looking at? And and people struggle with that. Um, so I just kind of want to talk about little bits of different scenarios to try to give people a little bit of how I feel about it and see if that helps them. Many people are going through this right now. Um for me, I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to say one diagnosis for me that I immediately euthanize. Bone and cancer. And that's bone cancer. And I've had bone cancer twice. Yes and no, because Mui had bone cancer on her leg. Right. But it was a different kind. It was a different kind. It was a treatable bone cancer and it was not a painful bone cancer. It wasn't the kind that is invasive into the bone and breaks the leg. And right. And it, it was I can't even remember what kind it was because it was very odd. She went through a, a, a round. It was weird. It was like an outs, outside of the bone and had kind of like tentacles along it. Or something. It wasn't. It was. It had like a little root that was growing on top of it. And that's not like typical bone cancer, which is like a lesion or an indentation or it's eating away. Right. 
Mui had something growing it was on a the bone. Yeah. Yes, it was a bump. A bump, not a dent. Right. But the but the kind of bone can the, the um the kind of bone cancer that I'm talking about is you know, it's a sarcoma. Yeah. And they are in they are what I'm told is that it's the most painful kind of cancer that a human or a dog can have. Now the thing about the thing about dogs is that typically they're very stoic. To give you an example, I mean, in rescue, look at the, look at the condition that we have seen dogs in. Look at Jojo with that front leg that's rotting. It's fat with infection. It's got lacerations in it, and it's it's killing him. Right. But does he cry? Does no, he, he just still does, uses it? Do, I mean, this is this is dogs. Yeah. So. You know, they're not like people where where you can voice, oh, my gosh, this hurts so bad. Yeah. I can't stand this. I can't tolerate this. Dogs accept. They accept the pain that they have. So when you're looking at a dog who's suffering with pain, what you might see is trembling. Um, won't eat their food. They're quiet. They're off by, by themselves. And... When, when they have pain like that, you have to be able to address that and try to solve that. And there's many, when a dog has bone cancer, you can try pain meds. It's but, not going to touch it. But it's, you know, the advice that I have had from the vets that I've had over the years is no. And I know a lot of people opt to, like, remove a leg. It's, I just, I just don't agree with that. I mean, you can remove the leg, but the metastases to where it's like a ticking time bomb of. It is, but people are trying to buy time with that dog. So let me put it this way. If you have a dog with bone cancer, see, I, you know, we have mastiffs and, and removing a leg is just, it is so a last case scenario ever yeah. to make that decision. And bone cancer does not have a good prognosis. Right. That's it's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. You're, you're hopefully buying yourself some time, but the recovery is really difficult. And right. And depending on the dog, you know, a mastiff, forget about it. The chihuahua. Okay. You know, a little chihuahua, a little poodle, something like that, take a leg off and it's not that big of a recovery for them to bounce back and you buy yourself a year or something. As long as the dog's not having pain, all right. Yeah. I'm just telling you my opinion on it, and I've had two Bordeaux's with bone cancer, and I put both of them down at diagnosis. Yeah. Um, Big Eunice had it in her um, front, leg, front leg, and she just kind of started with a limp, just kind of a painful limp, tried pain meds, nothing really seemed to make a difference. She would never cry out, never complain. She yeah. would run right out there on that pack walk and just kind of limp herself along. And when I got the x-ray of that leg, the vet was Dr. King at that time, said... I can't believe this dog is using this leg because the bone cancer was so significant in that leg. Well, and you're, I mean, you're dazed from that bone breaking. Which we have had happen at the ranch. Right. That, that's what comes to mind talking about bone cancer is that, that old lab that stayed with us. He was old. I mean, he was like 14 or something. Right. Really old. Right. Um, a bigger, bigger dog, front leg. They, they dropped him off with a diagnosis of bone cancer. And I, I tried to as nicely make it clear that y you don't have very much time here. They were leaving for like two weeks or something. You really don't have very much time here. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to say like, mm, you, 
you know, you probably should have let him go before you came. But but, but that's how we felt. And yeah. and he comes with pain meds, and I'm and I know, holy cow, you know, is this even doing anything right. for this dog? It's it, you know, it made us feel bad. And I think probably a, was it a week? Like in? a week, five days. Yeah, in? a week or five days in, he's significantly limping on it now, swelling, swelling. You know, and he happened to be Dr. Reno's client. Right. So I called her and t- talked to her and she said, you know, he has bone cancer. And she goes, his leg is now broken because the because it weakens the spot of where the bone cancer right. is eating it away and it and it fractures. And yeah. his, now his leg was broken. So, you know, we get the task of calling the owner who's out of town. Yeah. And telling them what has happened. And their dog needs to be euthanized like yeah. immediately. So either, and that was like the the heart of COVID. So yeah, but it was like a holiday too. I think. I think it was a weekend. Something. No, it wasn't because they went to Dr. Reno's office. So it was a weekday. But I think it was just COVID, Something. where uh, early on where they're not letting anybody in. You know that kind of a thing. So I called her, and she called her mother, who came and got her, and I I, you know, prepped everything at Dr. Reno's office to just, we took him out of the ranch, put him in their car, and she drove him straight there and, and put him to sleep. But, um, you know, and I, and I talked talk to the owner after that. And of course, you know, she feels terrible and she feels like, you know, she made a wrong choice. And I, and I think she did make a wrong choice, but you know, she doesn't, but she do didn't it. know, she didn't know. And she, everybody's hopeful. They're always yeah. hopeful. But I think with your, with your hopefulness, you really have to focus on the quality of life and the pain that your dog is going through. And right. don't take yourself and, out of that. Right. Take your emotions out of it. Yeah. It ha- it's a it's a very the the decision of of how to take care of your dog when they're sick and decisions on euthanasia is it can be a very selfish thing yeah and and people really need to take a good hard look at that as to as to what your decision is based on and weigh it all out you know people call me about I mean, I had Laura go through this with one of her old chihuahuas. You know, the dog's... Old is an understatement. I mean, she's a dinosaur. She's 17, 18, 19 years old. Now she's blind and she's deaf. And and when they get... And she's kooky. And she's kooky. And what I mean by kooky is a lot lot of times when dogs get to that really, really senior age, they're they're completely out of their mind. Yeah, it's like your granny with Alzheimer's. Exactly. They just have no idea what they're doing or right. what's... They don't, remember, they don't remember the schedule, the routine, the pack. We're doing this. We're having food. We're going here. We go potty. They're like really, really old people with Alzheimer's. They've lost touch with what their yeah. life is. But here she was just chugging along. Heart's, Heart's still beating, beating good. good. <laughs> just everything's doing fine, you know. And it's, but her mind is gone. But her mind is completely gone. And I, I told Laura, and I want everybody to understand this. There does come a time sometimes with your really, really, really old dog that when you're measuring quality of life, it's not just the dog's. It's, it's yours. yours. Because now you're, I, I look at it as your dog, the dog that you love is gone. Right. She's a shell of the body that she was in. Laura's dog was, she would stumble and fall off the couch. Um, I mean, you had to watch her tend to her every second. It's like having a toddler. It's like having a toddler again, but, but they can't communicate with you. They're incontinent. They're, she's, you know, all of those things. I just want everybody to recognize that it's okay to let a dog go at that point. Yeah. It is okay. It's, 
you don't have to hang on to the very last second of this dog's life. So many people feel guilty about that. Yeah. Laura felt guilty about that, and she couldn't do it. Yeah. She could not euthanize her for that. And the decision was taken out of her hands because she had some kind of a heart event, and she was flailing, and, and, and Laura had to rush her down to put her to sleep, which turned into be a, a pretty tragic death for her because it was tense and extreme because the dog is suffering and flailing and you know because her heart's not working right and now it's you know and those kinds i've been through those kinds of things i went through that with an old cat that i had big mick who lived to be like 20 20 something and you know you're hanging on and you're hanging on and then suddenly he's trying to die yeah and an animal dying, it's not like the movies. This is what my vet in Southern California told me. She goes, people, people dying and animals dying. It's not like, oh, you quietly close your eyes and you, and you go to sleep. She goes, there's death throes. Yeah. It's called death throes. And it's the body's reaction to try to... Because they, it's like firing. It's like, you know, because right. that part of your brain to breathe and, you know, your heart to beat is like the most primal part of your brain that works right whether you want it to or not and it's still trying it's to still trying firing. to live yeah. it's trying to live and it doesn't function right so what you're watching becomes a catastrophic event to see an animal that you love yeah struggle flail. and flail and gasp and and i i that was i was pretty young when that happened it, and i vowed that i would never watch that again i had to rush him in and they had to euthanize him with an injection to his belly. Yeah. Because he was so thin and so old, they couldn't get a vein on he him. He was like a carcass. I he mean, really was. I mean, I was old enough to remember how old that cat was. He wasn't kooky or anything, though. He was just no, he was really, just really old. thin. He was, he was, I mean, he was we, always a fat cat his whole life. Oh, I don't, I wasn't, I mean, I, I always remember called him, him being, Big Fat Mick. Oh, I don't remember <laughs> him being fat. Like, all my memories of him are being this, like, old dinosaur carcass. And yeah. he would just lay about, and then you'd just have to go check and see if he's dead. Because right. he's laying there, and he's just so old. So. Right, right. So I, you know, I look back on that and I wish that I had made a different decision. I wish that I had, you know, when he was really old and he's kooky, but he's still to just. He he wasn't really kooky though. Like everything's functioning still and he's getting around. He's just really thin and old. Right. But I didn't, I wished I didn't have to see him die that way. Sure. But I don't think that there was a different opportunity that felt like a good opportunity to do that for him. Right. For Laura's dog, you know. Yeah. She's a kookanani and right. I mean, I'm flashing on all the different animals that I've had that have that I've had to euthanize under various kinds of situations. I my first schnauzer was Hannah, and she, you know, I loved that dog. That dog was everything to me. That was your that's your heart dog. Yeah, pre Mui pre B pre B. Yeah. Anyway, she she suddenly came up with congestive heart failure, and she never responded to meds. I mean, never. We put her on meds, and you drained the fluid off of her belly. No, I didn't drain the fluid no? off of her. No, um, but we started her on meds, and it just didn't do anything. She would just fall down and pass out. Yeah, you know. And once again, the decision is clear: medication doesn't work. She's not going to get any better. Yeah, there's nothing I can do for her. Quality of life is not good. You have to let that dog go. Yeah. That's that's just that's, that's your job. It's, that is your job as a pet owner. Right. Yeah. You are there you are there everything. Yeah. And and unfortunately that includes being the decider. Yeah. Of what 
happens. And it's the and cost of doing business here. It is the cost of doing business. It's, it's part of the contract yeah. that you sign on for when you bring that dog into yeah. your home. And two times I've had um, dogs that have just died at home, which um, Vera was my very first Bordeaux, very strange circumstance. Uh, Travis and I were heading out to a pack walk and it was, it was snowy outside and the driveway was frozen. And we, we took off and the dogs took off. I had two Bordeaux then. I had Vera and I had Eunice and I think it was just Satchmo and Maris. That was before I got a tribe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the Bordeaux, Vera and Eunice both ran out the back door and they, and Vera slipped on the ice on the driveway. It didn't look like anything catastrophic, but she slipped and she, she got back up and off we went down to the beginning of the trail, which is probably 200 feet from the driveway to the beginning of the trail. Um, everybody's running ahead of us and Travis is with me and we get to that opening of the trail and Vera just stopped and she, she just stood there just staring straight ahead at me and I told her to come on you know, let's go, come on. And she's just standing there and Travis is looking at her and I'm looking at her and all the rest of the dogs are running ahead of us. So, you know, I have to keep my eye on where the pack is on the trail, but she's standing there and Travis said, I, I'm just going to get her. So he, cause she wouldn't move, but she stayed on her feet. She just looked kind of stunned. Yeah. And I said, go get her Travis and I'm going to get the pack back. So he just went and scooped her up and started walking. She was a little bear. She, she, I mean, she was 90 pounds. Yeah, but I mean, she wasn't Travis. You know, could, Travis could carry her. She wasn't bubs, but Travis could carry her all the way up to the house. And I kind of backtracked on the trail and hauled her to everybody to come back to me. And Travis was ahead of me going back home. And when, we, when I gathered everybody and got into the house, he had laid her down on the floor just inside the door. And I'll never forget because I had this experience with my dad when my dad died. When I watched my dad die, one of the first things that I noticed about him is that his whole body got goosebumps, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is just an electrical firing, yeah. you know, with somebody passing away. But I, when I got in to see Vera laying there, all of her hair was standing up on her body. And it just reminded me of my dad because my dad had just died. It was, it was within, you know, the same time frame. And my dad had died in April. Vera died in January. And I looked at her and she was gone. She's just just gone. And I, Travis like, do CPR, do CPR. I said, no, you don't understand. She is gone. Yeah. Like her pupil. I I mean, I know a dead dog when I see a dead dog. And I just didn't know what happened. I had no idea what happened. She was, she was going to be 10 in three months. So she had, was the oldest Bordeaux that I had at that time. And I called Dr. King, who was my vet and just, you know, like, what the hell, you know, what the hell is that? And she's like, you know, brain aneurysm, like yeah. her heart fails. You just don't know. Yeah, embolism. Embolism, whatever it was. And there's a quick little story of, I was watching Dr. Pohl one time. And I watched this story of this horse that slipped on the ice on their driveway, slipped on the ice. And that horse was just failing and not doing well. And the people didn't know what it was. And that Dr. Pohl came out and looked at it and he didn't know what it was. Um, the horse had died. And he said, I'm going to cut this horse open. 
So we cut the horse open and it just flooded with blood, flooded. And he said, what happened was when this dog slipped the on the ice, it tore, it tore the aorta. And I've always thought about that with Vera. Is that what happened to her yeah. when she slipped on the ice? Because when she got to the end of the trail, is she, is she bleeding out and she yeah. doesn't have any more oxygen? I never had her opened up. But in hindsight, I kind of wish that I had. Yeah. So I would have, you just, I kind of, when your dog dies at home like that, you're left guessing. Yeah. You're left, you're left having no clue. The other one was um, Edith. Yeah. Yeah, I had that, I had that bulldog for what, six months? Yeah, she was lazy. She's just a lazy <laughs> bulldog. The <laughs> laziest, the laziest bulldog you could ever have. She was the one that I would take my dogs for a pack walk. She would come out with me about fifty feet, and then just look at, at the driveway, and then she'd just sit there, and she'd like, "Go ahead, you guys, go ahead. I'll, I'll be here when you get back." <laughs> and she would, and she would just sit there until we came back, and then as the pack would come rounding up with her, so she'd excited. turn around a wag and just join the pack to go back. In the house. <laughs> we like, did so good. Oh, wow, it was fun. Ooh, I liked that anyway i mean the dog had literally no energy whatsoever um but one day uh you know i have a dog door and i'm gonna go outside and clean up poop outside and i don't want them out there with me i'm just you know i don't want you bothering me so i shut the dog door went outside scooped the yard i had to be gone four minutes i mean literally four minutes and i came back in the house and she's dead on the floor She's just right there at the door on her side, a little bit of drool coming out of her mouth, and she's dead. And it's shocking. Yeah. You know, one minute. I mean, she had her breakfast that morning. Everything was perfectly normal. And then I, that happens, and I come in, and she's just dead. And I don't know what she died from, and I never will know what she died from. But, but and I'll say, I say this to people, and it sounds really odd, but when that happens to you, there's a, there is a blessing in that because I didn't have to make a decision yeah. on what happened with those dogs. Um, one of the worst decisions that I had to make was with Mui because that, because that went on for probably 10 days of me trying to figure out what in the hell is going on with this dog. Well, it's worse than that because there had been such a struggle to keep her alive before that. Right. Well, with the event of the flesh-eating bacteria wound on her shoulder, I mean, I, I, it was a miraculous that that That's dog a different podcast. even survived that. That's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. But, you know, she had survived that, and I think it was maybe two years later year and a half after after all of that that she recovered from i think it was and it, I think it, it was two years what i noticed about Mui, probably two months prior to that is that she had a little wonk in her walk yeah like b um which is what worries me about b is that it's neurological um so she had a little wonk in her walk i i took her to dr wilkins he looked at her you know, he didn't think it was, it's not anything physical with her spine or her legs. It's not anything like that, which, yeah. you know. It's also not urgent. It wasn't urgent. It was just a little peculiar. And then the, the, then what happened that last, basically the night Mui died, yeah. even though she lived for 10 days after that. I'm in my bedroom and Mu, it's Halloween. Mui comes flying in the dog door. I mean, flying in it like a dog that's 
terrified of something that happened outside. And she looked crazy. Her eyes are bugging out and she's looking at me and she's panting. And I'm like, what happened to you? You know, is it a snake? Is it, you know, but it's cold outside. Well, it's Halloween. So it could be, you know, you could get a little sleepy, lazy snake, you know? So I'm looking at her and she's panting and panting and panting. And she, she's fighting me to hold her, to look at her. And I could feel her body temperature rising in my, in my hands. Kirk was on the phone with friends or something. And I went in there and yelled at him to get off the phone. We're going to the ER right now. And as we're driving her, I said to him, I can feel her body temperature climbing. Whatever is happening, she is burning up. She's boiling. And we live a ways from the ER. You know, it's 20 it's minutes. good 25 20 minutes. To, to get there. Kirk's, I think he was driving like 100. He's flying. And I get her in there and they take her back. And the vet who does not know me. and this, At that time. This did not go well. Tell it basically comes in and tells me that she's overheated, that you have allowed her to overheat. You know, the emoji with one eyebrow up. All right. (laughs) Well, that didn't happen. Yeah. So that that did not happen. So you could just take that out of your mind right now. Take that one off the table. Right. And at this point, her her temperature is like 106. Yeah. um, For no reason that we can think of. So it just continues to get worse. You know, he comes in and tells me her temperature is 107 and she's probably blind now and she's probably, and I'm on the fence of, do I just let this dog go? Um, finally, they, Dr. Reno arrived at the ER. Yeah, because when your vet is your friend, then she comes to the ER she when your dog to the is the not ER doing well. And starts working with them on, on trying to save her life. And they did get her temperature down and... But the question is, is, you know, why? Why did that? Why did that happen? And who is she now? Yeah. You know, is there brain damage? What is there? So they kept her in the ER for, you know, a couple of days. Dr. Rolf took a look at her and ha- had her in the hospital for like three days. Her temperature came down. And, and, I, and Dr. Rolf said, I think you can come and pick her up. And I took her home. I went to go see her in the, it, I was in the exam room and he brought her out to me and she didn't care about me. Yeah. And he, and he came out and he said, you know, how do you think she looks? I go, this isn't my dog. Yeah. You know, she's, she looks like my dog. Yeah. She walks around like she's normal, but she's not normal. Yeah. And, um, I took her home and she was, she, uh, the word that I could use to describe her was that she was paranoid. She was under the bed. Yeah. Everything was freaky to her. And she, not you know, to be comforted. Within and... a couple of days, she did it again. Yeah. The, you know, the, the panicking, the s- panting, the temperature elevation. And I ran her back to the ER again. Same kind of thing over again. She ended, it, we ended up transferring her over to CVSC into neurology. And let me just stop right there because the field of neurology for me, when it, when your dog goes into the realm of neurology, you've gone to hopeless town. It's pretty hopeless. It, it, Anything that they're diagnosing in neuro, 90% of the time is bad. 90% of the time, I would say. Yeah. There's nothing good that's happening in neuro. Because for, in, do, in the medicine for dogs. For, for dogs, there's not a lot of options with right. their brain. Yeah. There's know? no brain surgery. I'm sure somebody's doing it somewhere, but it's that's just not right. practical. And even brain surgery for people is a difficult thing. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, Wes's uh, girlfriend died of um, brain cancer. And that's a devastating cancer. Yeah. It's devastating and, and not a lot that can be done for it. But um, what they determined with Mui, and th- this is another thing that I'm going to talk about because, you know, money becomes an issue for people. To, right. Everybody's to make, got a, a max a max outline. You've got a max outline. And it, it, where I was at with Mui, she had been at CVSC in the ER for probably two or three days and I would go to see her and she doesn't yeah my dog is gone yeah my dog has been gone since that first night and it I hate that I let her languish because I'm trying to figure out what the hell right because you don't what is happening here what is happening here? yeah so uh, eventually we got to neuro at CVSC and they felt like this is most likely a brain tumor that she has that and I said, how, how can she be good one day and the next day she comes busting through the dog door in an agitated state with her temperature climbing that's killing her? Yeah. And they said, because a brain tumor is like, it's, it's there and their body tolerates until it doesn't. Yeah. And that can be one day. One day, here comes Mui. It's like one day you pop the balloon. Which goes back to the wonkiness of her walking, which is, was that the brain tumor affecting it very early on Yeah. until we got to the final point that we did. So when we get to the cost of things, uh, she's at CVSC, and the only way to diagnose clearly does she have a brain tumor is to do an MRI. Right, but to do an MRI and find a brain tumor, there's nothing to be done about it. So what's the point? So that that is one of the most important things that I say to people on a regular basis when it comes to diagnosing and what you're spending your money on with a dog is is this going to is this MRI going to save my dog's life? Right. Is this going to find a solution that's treatable? Right. Or right. is it just confirming things that we already suspect that are bad? Right. And some people need that answer. That's an expensive answer. It is an expensive answer, but that's your decision to make. Right. For me with Mui, I did not do it. Right. Because I don't need to. My dog is gone. There isn't anything else that this could be. Right. At this point. Right. And she's already gone. Right. And that's the thing that I say to people when, it, when they say, the vet needs to do an MRI or the vet needs to do this to determine this. I always say to them, to what end? We do this MRI to what end? Right. Do we do the MRI and find out like I'm going to do with B, does she need to have back surgery or is that not it at all? Right. Or is there something much worse happening in there? Is there something much worse happening in there? Now with Mui, Mui was gone and I knew she was gone. I'm not spending $5,000 on an MRI for you to tell me that she has a brain tumor that I already know that she has right. that doesn't save my dog. Right. I would take that $5,000 and spend it towards my dogs that are alive. Right. Because Mui's not right. anymore. So that's, that's one of the things that I, I think it's important for people to understand. The, the other thing is uh, many times people feel like you're not doing your job as a pet owner unless you exhaust all measures to try to save your dog, which includes many times putting like an old dog, a really old dog through 
some kind of a surgery that is pretty catastrophic. Um, and it's everybody's decision. Yeah. But but you, you you always you always have to weigh those those things out. You have to weigh out your dog's age. You have to weigh out the cost. You have to weigh out what is the prognosis from there. So you know you have a you have a dog who has has cancer on its kidney. So you you gonna go go remove that? Yeah. No. What is the prognosis from there? Yeah. You know even do, like the chemo that they do. I mean. There are specific examples where that's helpful, but generally speaking, you know, are you buying yourself some time, but they feel like crap the whole time? Well, and that, so that's the thing is as, as their guardian, as use the contract that you've signed is you have to make decisions based on them, not on you. Right. It, it isn't about you being sad because you're going to lose your dog. That, that isn't in the equation. Right. You have to you have to weigh what you're putting this dog through, and always remember in your mind that the pain that the dog is feeling you aren't necessarily going to know about right. because they're stoic and they they just don't cry and show you every yeah. everything that's that's causing them discomfort. So there's just so many different scenarios that you know people will ask me. You know, what do you, what do you think? What do you, and you know, every decision has to be made differently. And I've always said, when the time comes for your dog to be euthanized, you're going to know. So talk about like old Buick. Okay. So old Buick, he, Buick was the first Mastiff ish <laughs> mastiff mix that we they ever had he started my love affair with mastiffs he was i don't know what he was but he probably mastiff and lab why we thought he was huge he was like yeah. he was 90 pounds <laughs> dark chocolate brown big head big head sweet boy um one day i woke up to him screaming in his bed he's screaming in agonizing pain no idea no idea what on earth, you know, he, he, he cried like a dog who had broken his leg or been hit by a car and got him to the vet and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know. I, end, I ended up at a, um, a specialty place who drew fluid out of the joint of his shoulder and he had an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Mind you, this is, you know, a long time ago. When he eight years ago probably something 28 like that. years ago yeah yeah i dated myself just now because <laughs> you remember it i barely remember it. well it was it was less than that because trav drove him so yeah yeah anyway he had a autoimmune disease that just boom popped up out of the blue um with with because his body was attacking itself um and, you know, the, the prognosis that they gave me, you know, I'm much younger then, and I don't really know the questions to ask. And well, and there aren't the kind of specialists that there is now, and, you know, we're just not as versed. I just wasn't as versed And then. neither was science. Right. So they put him on some kind of chemo drugs, and, they, and the, basically the way they made me feel is that he's... He's just going to do fantastic. This this is assault this. He'll take this it's and magic. 
and he'll be fine. Well, I mean, a lot of it was steroid, and what y- you find is your dog disintegrating in front of your eyes, which yeah. is what which is what happens with steroid use. Steroids are what I call the miracle and the devil at the same time. Yeah. They can do it can do amazing things on a short term basis to turn yeah. something around. Long term, it's long term basis. It's ve- it's very devastating. It just is absolutely devastating, and just it's it's amazing how fast it will deteriorate the muscle mass yeah. in a in a dog to the point where they can't hardly even move anymore. Um, and so Buick had he just deteriorated right in, in front of my eyes. He deteriorated, and he would. He would do pretty well with pain until he didn't. And then all, all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's in horrible, excruciating pain again. And I would rush him off to the vet, and they would, you know, hit him with pain, pain medication and try to get it under control. And it was just kind of that cycle. You know, just the cycle of my dog that's, um, he looks terrible. How am I going to get out of this? To once again to what end what is the solution here how do we how do i make this dog better because he's not getting better yeah um and then it it got to the point where one day he's in the backyard and he flops down on his butt and you know his and his back legs are kind of up in the air because he doesn't have any muscle mass to sit like a regular dog and they look at you, yeah. you know, and, and they look at you it's a certain way where it's that look where they look at you and go, I'm done here. Yeah. You know, this is, this is awful. And I, I made the decision this, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. I'm not doing this with this dog. I'm not doing this, this cycle of. You, well, you're not getting better either. You're just not getting, getting worse. better. Right. And he's deteriorating in front of my eyes. Yeah. So you have to make that call. And, and. You know, it was hard and you, you doubt yourself and question yourself and... Well, that one was bad because, you know, you made the decision to to let him go. He's kind of Trav's dog. Yeah. So, you know, Trav's going to take him. Trav wants to take him. And he, you know, you go to take him and he's, you know, this is a dog that doesn't move around well and he can't get up and... Yeah. And Trav takes him and opens the door to the car and he jumps in. Yeah. Like... So then you second guess yourself. Right, because he had a little rush of adrenaline, you know, which is one one of the things that they'll do on the way to the vet. But, you know, I've been struggling for weeks and weeks and weeks with this. So, you know, no, he's not magically better. He's just got a little tiny burst of adrenaline. And, you know, the decision had to be made. And um, I don't regret it. I don't regret the decision that I made. But at the time, you you know, especially when your kids are involved, you know. And, you know, when it's a family decision like that, you might struggle with, you know, some this person agrees with that, that person doesn't agree with that, and somebody's got to take charge of yeah. that because the welfare of the dog is the is the absolute primary thing. I think it's good to get an opinion, though. I mean, I always call you when I've got something cooking, you know, that I, what is happening here because you're emotional about it, so you need to talk to somebody who's knowledgeable, who's maybe not as emotional about it right to get a different perspective right well i mean and then there's the uh, the situation that i had with bubs you know the when she she tried to die on me you know this is my eight month old puppy yeah that uh, this was it was absolutely catastrophic i mean i just could not even believe the situation that i was in it was when we had the, we had basically the rona at the ranch yeah we had dog rona we had we had a dog that came out of a shelter with a 
with a upper, upper respiratory infection from hell. Well, he didn't, but that dog wasn't that sick. Right. But it, it Oh, was, you got a little snotty nose? Okay. Right. Happens. But, but we ended up with, I don't know, six, seven, eight different rescue dogs in the ER in oxygen. Yeah. And um, Bubs, she was well. Everything was fine. Yeah. And it, it, it was, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I'm laying in my bed watching TV. And she came over next to me and kind of, <coughs> yeah, just a <coughs> little bit of a cough which wasn't normal for her. And I'm like, all right, you know, there's obviously a little bit of an issue here, but you know what? We'll assess it in the morning. I went to bed and I woke up at, it was probably midnight or one o'clock with her on top of me. She's, she's laying completely on top of my chest going. <laughs> and I, well, this is bad. Yeah. And thank God she did. Yeah. That she, you know, she, there's something wrong with her and she's afraid. Yeah. So she's on top she of me. She wants you to fix it. She wants me to fix it. And so, you know, I scoop up my big pup and. This is before you like, you know, collapsed and fell down from scooping up your big pup. <laughs> this was my, yeah, she was only eight months old here. <laughs> um, the collapsing from picking her up was only a couple months later. Yeah. though. <laughs> Cause she had moved on to a hundred pounds yeah. now. Um, so it's the middle of the night and I rush her off to the ER and I get her in there and they're like, you know, she's got pneumonia. She's yeah. it just like came on so incredibly fast. But even with pneumonia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, right. I've got her there. It's, it, it, it's like it's been a few hours. She was fine yesterday. Since she's had got pneumonia. You're, so thinking, you're thinking like, yeah, we're really smat. So, you know, we caught it really early. Caught it and really early. Start her on some IV antibiotics. Yeah, if cool she beans. needs some oxygen, she cool. can have some yeah. oxygen. We'll be, it'll, it'll be good. Oh, my God. And that was probably 2 in the morning. So then she calls me at 6, 30, 7 o'clock. And I couldn't believe the call. I just could not believe what she was saying to me. She said... I'm not sure we can, I'm not sure she's going to make it. And I'm like, what in the hell yeah. are you talking about? She's like, you know, when she, during the night, her temperature escalated to, you know, 105, 106 degrees. And she seized. She had a seizure. I still don't know if Bub has seizures or not, or if Bub had a seizure from a toad and had a seizure from a high temp. Yeah. I still don't know. She's still on anti-seizure medications. At some point I'll address that, but... So she has need to sim it down. So she this. had a major seizure and um she's dying. Yeah. And that's what she said. She goes, I think you need to come down her because I think you probably need to say goodbye. And I'm like, Yeah. Are, I mean, are you kidding me? Are you are you kidding me? Yeah. And it's I'm looking at the clock because it's like 730 in the morning. Yeah, and it's that old. I mean, that happens to all of us, you know, whether your kids are sick or whatever. You're looking at that clock of like how many how much longer until you know, help can come. How much longer? And you're looking for Dr. Rolf. I'm looking for Dr. Rolf. And I know that, you know, he's going to be in there at like eight o'clock. And, you know, the vet that I had, I like her. She's young. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, um, she goes, the only thing I think that I can do to keep her alive right now is to tube her. And I said, then tube Which we've her. never heard for like right. a dog with pneumonia. We've never done that. Or and I'm thinking, well, you're going to put her on like on a, on, a on, vent, a vent. on a vent? Mind you, this is during COVID. Like, it's during COVID. Everybody's on a vent. And we're a cookie factoring every day. Yeah. We've got cookies and cookies and cookies yeah. to bake. So 
I said, then then do then it. To it. Yeah. Then tube her. Start her on a tube right now until Dr. Rolf gets in there. So Laura and I are flying down to the ER. But they're going to get, um, so this is a tube in her stomach. They're going to put a tube in her nose, okay? So it's going to go through her nose to her stomach, okay? So it's a little tube, and it'll just, like, stitch right here. So they can pull fluid off of her stomach. And that way, once we pull all this, we can pull all the fluid off so that if she does start waking up, there shouldn't be anything in there for her to spit, okay? So, um, she definitely looks... had come that early because we're going to bake yeah. for the cookie factory so it's like eight o'clock by now and i'm fly we're flying down the freeway and i get dr rolf on the phone he's like you know she looks this looks she looks really bad and he said thank goodness that this vet tubed her because we would have lost her yeah so she goes she did the right thing and so then they they tubed her and they put a tube down into her stomach and for some reason in her stomach, it was filled with like the nastiest, brownest fluid mm. in her stomach. And they don't know if it was from her swallowing, swallowing, swallowing because she was gasping, gasping and with um, and stress and a seizure. And, yeah. you know, she'd had her dinner. So she's got, you know, she's got she's bloody, got meat, cooking she's got bloody in there. meat in her belly. But I, when I, I rolled in there... Um, She's on that table, and it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. I feel like I was in an alternate universe. Here's my, here's my puppy. She's well, on Wes had the picture, because we took a picture of her like that. I have a video, I have a video yeah. of her, and she's, you know, she's tubed and sprawled out just asleep. And there's this big bucket of fluid next to her that they've drained out of her belly, because he said that was adding stress on her heart and her lungs. Well, it's taking up space. It's taking up space. <sighs> And I just looked at him and I go, so what, so what the hell do we do now? What, what are we hoping for? And he said, I'm just going to let her rest. I'm just going to, I said, you're just going to keep her under anesthesia for like on a, vent. For, on a vent for how long? He goes, I don't know, eight hours maybe. Yeah. Something we'd never seen or heard of. No, ever. no, ever. And I'd never seen Dr. Rolf not hopeful. Yeah, Doc, Dr. Rolf is the nicest man on the face of the earth. Love Hands him. down. Love Hands down. Him. Nicest man ever. Yes. And so, and I've learned now, because I've been on that side of the coin of Dr. Rolf, when he delivers bad news, is that he starts talking real low. That's what he did with Ethel whenever he, you know, I get him on the phone. Because normally you get on the phone with him and he goes, hey. He's chipper, yeah. Hey, it's, it's Dave. How you, how you doing? So then he comes on the phone and he goes, how are you doing? And I'm like, okay, well, this is really bad news. Yeah, thanks. This is going to be really bad news. So it's what he said to me, you know, we're going to keep her on this vent. And I said, for how long? And he's like, as long as I feel like I need to. And I go, do you think she can recover from this? And he's like, she's a puppy. And I think she can. 
He said, I, I think she can. And I'm like, and I told you, this dog's going to die. Yeah, mind you, she's she's on the phone with me after that sobbing. Sobbing. Because it's horrible. I mean, 10 hours earlier, my puppy is a normal a puppy. A big, dumb puppy. And I'm like, Jesus. I mean. And what did I say to you? You lied. Well, I, no, <laughs> but I said, if anybody can save her, Dr. Rolf can. Yeah. So it's going to be okay. I was right. So, it, you know, it's eight o'clock. She's on the vent, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I think it got to be like four o'clock in the afternoon. And he called me and I said, you know, what are we doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to, we're just going to start lowering her sedation level. And they woke her up and she was, she was okay. She's okay. She had to stay for a couple more days, you know, in oxygen and meds and I, it's just like miraculous that she pulled out of that because I felt like I was going to have to make a decision. I was yeah. going to have to make this decision. You on know, your puppy. On my puppy. Yeah. It's one thing when it's an old dog. A puppy is sucks. Losing a puppy is awful. That's really, that's really awful. Losing. I mean, I lost her lean at the, I mean, that's I, like the I lost, worst. I lost a, a Bordeaux puppy, the most beautiful Bordeaux puppy in all the land at 10 weeks old. Yeah. I, I literally, I, I had her at eight weeks, happy, normal, healthy puppy. Delicious. And then, and then she's got a little bit of stomach upset. Yeah. She's just a, you know, like her stomach bothers her. She does a little bit of vomiting. She just a, can't quite figure it out. And then the next day she's fine. The next day she's not fine. I had her, I had her at the vet trying to figure out what is wrong with this puppy. You know, a little gastroenteritis. Yeah. You know, the most common thing that happens and one day she was good, next day she wasn't good. It was just kind of a constant thing. And that went on for two weeks because I had her for two weeks until it was a Sunday and I she just kind of collapsed. And I scooped that little pup up and rushed her off to the ER and... um they took it, snapped an x-ray of her stomach and said she has intussusception. Intussusception. Yeah. A term we'd never heard I had before. never heard of intussusception. I had no idea what that was, what that even meant. And that was one of the weirdest experiences I ever had. Well, that was a very negative experience. It was a very negative Vet-wise. experience. Vet-wise. She's not there anymore, right? I don't know. But I had... This vet was young... And they rushed Erlene off to surgery. And I, I saw... So intussusception is when their intestines start telescoping inside of itself. And then it, it starts to die. It starts to kill the intestine. Yeah. Um, apparently it happens in babies too. It happens in people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what was happening with her throughout the time. Is it was trying to start to do that. And she didn't feel good. And, yeah. Um, anyway, they rushed her off to surgery and she died. Yeah. Um, and the vet that worked on her fell apart. She absolutely fell apart. She fell. She wasn't the surgeon, though. Somebody no. else took her to surgery, but she came back to like update you and fell apart in the room, and, and she wasn't even dead yet. And fell apart in the room and was just kind of screaming and moaning, and it was just the weirdest thing because, uh, you know... So this is my dog, not your dog. It was very strange. And anyway, there was my dead 10-week-old puppy that 
I mean, it was shocking. Terrible. Absol- absolutely shocking. So no decision to be made there. They couldn't. They couldn't save her life. Yeah. So the the other one I think you need to talk about is Satchmo. Satchmo. Yeah. Because mine were all mine were all pretty pretty no, cut you and have, dry. You, no, you know what's what is is important for you to talk about is um, is Norma Jean. Well, there's both of them. So I had Betty and Norma, mother and daughter, and both of them like to swallow things. And if you've had a dog that swallows things, you can't make them not swallow things. And it just depends on what they like to swallow. Like you had Eunice that liked to swallow things, but she only liked to swallow like little kid underwears and little kid washcloths were her favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Betty and Norma were sock eaters, prolific sock eaters forever. And when you have a bunch of little kids, I don't care how good you are at picking up all the socks, they're going to find a sock. Yeah. Period. If it's a kid sock, it's no big deal. It goes in and goes out. They're a big dog. It's going to go in and go out. Well, Betty ate, she got older. She was probably seven, I think, when we lost her. Mabel was born, and she, all of a sudden, she doesn't feel good. She's got stomach upset. She's you know doesn't want to eat her food, You know, a little bit of throw up. Okay, she ate a sock. You know, yeah. I'm sure it's going to make its way through, like, the hundreds of socks before it. Right. Um, you know, a day, two days, she still doesn't feel good. And I think we took her, like, on day three. Like, all right, you're still not better. Like, that's really weird because we've done this a lot of times. I mean, how many times have I picked up a colored sock in a poop and um, got an x-ray? And it looked like a little um, stuffed bumblebee that was a toy that Mabel had. It was like a a, you know fleece beehive, and you put the little bumblebees in the thing. It's a baby toy. It has a little rattle in it. Anyway, she she ate the bumblebee. And it got stuck. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by that time, she's either she's perfed a bowel and she's septic or she's, you know, catastrophically ill at that point. So do you throw out all the stops to try to save her? And for me, it was a no because it's going to cost a lot of money and she's going to eat it again. This is not something it's still recording. It's not something that she's going to um, stop doing. And um, she's going to do it again. So I'm going to throw down all the stops on a seven-year-old dog who's going to do this again. And she's really sick. And that's if they can save her. So I opted to not. I and opted, she's a seven-year-old Bordeaux. She's a seven-year-old Bordeaux. So I opted to let her go. Yeah. I don't feel bad about that. I feel like that was the right thing to do because, I mean, the recovery on that would be terrible even if she survived. And... And I can't make her not do it a week from now. I had clients at um, at uh, Hair of the Dog who had an Airedale that would always eat peach pits. No. They had they had like three peaches peach trees in their backyard, and they just could not stop this dog from getting a peach pit and surgery multiple times on that dog. And same thing, they just said that finally it's just we just can't do this yeah. because how many times can we go in there and get peach? Well, peach because pits? if it's not going to be the peach pit, it's going to be something else, right? You know, right. and and when you have a constant swallower who just continues to do that, and then, so it cost it cost uh, Betty her life, right? And so then you know, two years later or so, I have Norma still, mm-hmm. big Bordeaux, 120 pounds, um, still a sock eater. I like I said, I, you have little kids, you can't stop them from leaving a sock down for three seconds, right? So Norma gets sick. Um, and we take her in and they do an x-ray and it looks like there's something in there. And so Dr. Reno went in 
and it was like way worse than we thought. It she was had, elastic, she had, right? She had eaten Violet's ballet tights. Tights. So pink, think like pantyhose, like pink ballet tights. Yeah. But it had like gotten stuck in one spot and gone down the other side, and and it's stretchy and elastic, so it's like wrapping around and pulling like through pulling her intestines through and, and cutting and off things and. You know, now you have to make the decision. Do you do you try to save her? She's much younger. You yeah. know, do you try to save her, or you know, or you do you let her go? And so we opted to to go for it and try to save her. Um, and she made it through the surgery. It's a huge surgery. Huge by the surgery. Way. Hours that Doctor Reno was yeah, working resecting on that. dead resecting, bowel. Yes. Yeah. You know, got her through the surgery. Um, and it's like six o'clock at night or something. And she wants her to spend the night at CVSC just to be monitored because it was bad. And she was worried about peritonitis, which is just like an infection in the gut from all like, you know, rotting bowel juice, yeah. you know, poking through there. So I, I picked her up and I transferred her to CBSC for the night. Um, and they called me, it was like midnight or something. It said she's, she coded on the table and they got her back, but it looks really bad. And so I went, you know, if you know anything about, if you've done as much stuff as we have, once a dog codes, it's, you know. Or a person. Yeah, well, and people you can get back from a code, but dogs code and it's it's bad. Yeah. It's, it, you're not going to get them back. So um, she was doing really badly, called me in the middle of the night. I came down there to let her go. I knew this is like three days before Christmas or something. Yeah. And my kids have one more day of school that they have finals for. So I had to go. I drove down there at like three in the morning. It's like a 40 minute drive or something. I think I made it there in like 25 minutes. I'm trying to get there before she dies. Right. Because she's like, she's literally dying. I made it there in time to be there with her when they let her go. Even though she didn't know I was there. She was so, so sedated. Um, and then I have to keep that for my kids all day so that they can, you know, finish their finals and hope that they're not looking at the Facebook page to see that. Because, you know, dog dies, we close the page and, yeah. you know, terrible, terrible. So one, one I opted not to you know, not to try. And the other one we opted to try and we still lost. So, so every, uh, every one of them, it's an individual decision. Yeah. Case by case by case. But with the caveat of everybody needs to have in mind first, first you need to give yourself permission to make the decision to euthanize your dog. Right. And that having a limit on the cost is okay. Is okay. That's okay. It's okay. Having a limit on how difficult managing this dog, whether it's a little kooky and old and incontinent, is affecting your quality of life, it's okay to say goodbye to that dog. Managing the recovery of, you know, a big surgery or, you know, a medication protocol and expense that you can't afford. Right. It's okay. It's okay. And And always keep in mind when faced with decisions on what to do with your dog, what tests to go to, what, um, the question always is to what end. Right. We run this test because we're going to find out what. Right. If that what is to just define what your dog is going to die from. No, thank you. You don't have to spend that money on that. Right. It's okay to not spend that money on that. But some people need that answer. They need that. You need to spend the money on it so you know why your dog died. That's okay, too. It's just up to you. But to jump to all lengths of every test known to man without knowing 
what the end result is. What do you gain from right. this test? What what how is, does that benefit you? How does that benefit you and how does it benefit the dog? Right. Or whatever well, other animal you're working whatever on. Whatever other animal you're working on. Always always has to factor in is to is to think all of those things. And ultimately you end up having to make the decision that is right for you and is right for the dog. And nobody else can tell you what that answer is. Nobody can tell you what that answer is. You can is. seek assistance in evaluating it, but you're the one that has to make that decision. But I can't emphasize enough that the, the decision to, to euthanize your dog a little too early, as opposed to holding out for like two weeks that end up being, oh my gosh, this dog's now in so much pain yeah. and it's an emergency situation because you wanted to hang on to them a little longer. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't it's better that. to go a little too early than it's a little too late. It's always better to go a little too early than too late because you get into a situation where it can be... Those are not the last memories you want. Of, exactly. You know, gasping and flailing. And having and, regrets. And having stress. Yeah. Yeah. About you that. You don't want it to go that way. Right. Sad subject, but... Food for thought. Well, that's all we got. But that's all we got. Sorry. We're a downer. <laughs> <laughs> 